You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show, the Packernet Podcast Network. If you'd like to call in, if you'd like to participate in the show, please feel free to do so. The phone number here is 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. I don't think we have any new callers. Oh, we do have a new caller today. <laughs> nice. Well, for those that don't know, new callers go directly to the front of the line. So we're going to start with the new caller. Hi, this is Darren Winston calling from New Berlin, Wisconsin. Um, I missed the name, but used to live in New Berlin many years. Welcome. I just wanted to give my two cents on this past game. Um, I know it's, we're on to the next week, basically. But um, the play calling. The play calling was pretty solid up until, I feel like, the last four, eh, no, I won't say four minutes. The last three, three minutes and, like, 30 seconds. So that interception that Jordan loved through, I felt like we, going down the field, we were passing the ball a lot. And I felt like with three minutes and like 30 seconds left, instead of throwing the ball into the end zone, we should have at least tried to run it. Because I felt like us throwing the ball as much as we did to get down there, it was predictable. Um, defensively, our defense played like, Warm butter, just easy to slice through. Yep. Up until the second half. Um, second half was a little bit better, but I think Joe Barry needs to go, and I'm kind of sick of seeing Joe Barry um, on the TV screen when I look at zooming on him in the press box. But he he needs to go. I've been saying this for a few a couple of years now. I didn't like the hire to begin with. Yeah. I wanted Jim Leonard, and. I still want Jim Leonard, so I'm hoping by the end of the season Joe Barry's gone, but Jim Leonard, I think, is the call. Um, but have a good day, rest of your day. Bye. Yeah, and it's frustrating hearing uh, Matt LaFleur defend him just because, I mean, I understand that's what you do, but at the same time, it just kind of makes, I think, a lot of people nervous that there won't be a change. You know, if we assume that you assume that this is just a player issue and that the, the play calling is great, then we have no faith that you're going to... Um, do the right thing. I'd I'd saw seen saw. I, I yes, I see saw. Me and Moe see saw all the time. <laughs> um, I saw yesterday somebody had mentioned that uh, generally these guys get three year contracts, and that technically Petten was never fired. He was just not brought back, and so it gave me a couple different thoughts. Number one, I feel like that's kind of a weak, cowardly way out but also raises the probability that Joe Barry isn't back because he doesn't actually have to be fired. He's just going to come back and be like, so how are we feeling about that new contract? He's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'll let you know. Have a good day. And just kind of let it go and then hire somebody else. Just saying. It, 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 in my mind, it raises the likelihood that he won't be back because at that point we're talking about having to write up a whole new contract. And it's like, if you're willing to go to that extent, you know, it's one thing to say, I don't want to fire somebody. It's another thing to say, I want to, I don't have a defensive coordinator right now because the guy I have, his contract ran out and I need one. And of all the people in the world I want, Joe Barry's the guy. Like if that's the decision you make, all right, that's, that's freaking crazy. As far as the play calling thing, I, I mean, you're obviously very specific in what you saw, what you remember and what happened. I don't recall that clearly. So I can't super comment on it. The only thing that I will add is something that I've mentioned a couple times. Just because the ball went somewhere doesn't mean that was necessarily where it needed to go, right? Jordan Love chose to throw it in the back of the end zone. Doesn't mean that Matt LaFleur said, hey, today, you know, on this play, we're going to take a shot in the back of the end zone. 
And so, you know, typically there's a lot of options on a given play. And if one option is an interception, you probably shouldn't go that route. But I get what you're saying as far as running the ball. I don't recall in terms of the flow of the game and how things were going and how we were running compared to how we were passing. And, you know, I'd, I'd have to go back and like watch and get a feel for that period of time. But I'll just take your word for it that you're right. And I've tried uh, like four times to catch your name and I couldn't catch it. So you will be New Berlin guy. So thanks for calling in, New Berlin guy. Craig, what's up, man? Hey, Ryan, it's Craig. Uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, I just listened to the Packernet After Dark and appreciated you pointing out the camera work on kickoff. I hate it so much. It is so bad. I can't believe they think anyone likes that person. And it's like they tried it a couple of years ago, and I'm like, well, that was terrible. I'm sure they will stop doing that. They don't. They stick with it. They keep using it. Who is asking for that? It's like, oh, it's it's like we're on the field. It's amazing. No, it sucks. It's stupid. I can't see what's happening. Effective. Because like you, I have no clue where they are on the field. I don't know where the opening is. It's, it's just terrible. It feels like it'd be better to be behind the runner. Yeah. Right? Why not put the spider thing if behind anything, the yeah. runner to kind of almost kind of see what he's seen? That would be better than in front, uh, kind of the defensive perspective. But overall, it should be more of an aerial view. Is terrible, but thank you for bringing that up. Uh, second thing, these are very random. Uh, I left it, but I think it got deleted because it probably fell into the whole prior to a game thing a couple weeks ago. But I wanted to give uh, my rankings after much research and study of the uh, old Southern barbecue uh, sauces. Nice. So uh, I got the uh, the big uh, legendary box. So I got the four sauces, the four rubs, and the t-shirt. Highly recommend it to anyone. A good deal. But in order, uh, and I've tried the barbecue sauce on both uh, pulled pork and on ribs. Oh, yeah. Um, so my favorite, for whatever it's worth, is uh, Chicago Fire, but I tend to like things a little hot. Sure. And that one is a, a little uh, little spicier. And then after that is the uh, Dixie Red, which is rich and smoky. And then I'd probably go to Chicago Blue, which is mild and tangy. And my last one's probably Southern Gals, which is um, sweet uh, brown sugar kind of flavor. Um, you know, I don't have a ranking, but I almost think mine is almost the exact opposite. I like, I really like all four, but I like sort of a more like sweet tangy type of barbecue sauce. And Chicago Fire is great, but it's like I'll literally just add hot sauce to my uh, to my barbecue sauce if I want it to be spicy. And then Dixie Red is like super flavorful. It's almost like a one slash barbecue sauce kind of thing. I don't know. It's, it doesn't taste like that. I'm just saying, like, it's a very strong, um, full-flavored thing. Um, but I, I think Southern Gals and Chicago Blue are my two favorites, so that's kind of funny. On the ribs, I did use their rib rub, um, and I didn't sauce them up ahead of time because I knew I wanted to try the different sauces as well as the, as the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, even with no sauce, that rib rub was very good on the ribs. I've also tried the steak and butter I love that. Um, rub on, on some nice uh, ribeyes and uh, enjoyed that. Had, had a little bit, a uh, little kick to it as well, which was great. Um, so all the sauces were good, and I, I like having a variety for other people because my kids and grandkids had kind of different rankings, but those were mine. So I wanted to give a shout-out to Old Southern Barbecue. Haven't heard from them for a while, but uh, it was uh, it was really good. And the last thing, hopefully I don't run out of time, thank you again for sharing your dad's story. Uh, as you know, we had your dad give his testimony at our church, our men's group. He was awesome. Fertile uh, Ground Ranch Ministry is amazing. And I, ta- I do talk to him once in a while. We continue to support him financially. So um, I-, I think it's one thing to uh, uh, for, for uh, Christ to have that impact in your life, but when you pay it forward like he did, big time, jumping in both feet, going to school, uh, moving. Um, well, let's just let's get, let him finish here. Well, I knew I was going to be tight, but <laughs> just real quick, uh, again, just an amazing story, an amazing, uh, you know, um, living, living the call. So um, that's great, and I hope others can uh, can can uh, uh, at least lift him up in prayer and they can open their wallet that's awesome too so um appreciate that keep up the good work and uh, we'll talk soon take care go back go appreciate it craig i've been slacking on the uh 
the barbecue in a little bit. I, I, I was going to go down the turkey route. See, like I'm, I'm, it's kind of turning into fall. So and I'm trying to push like summer stuff and I'm just not feeling it as much. That's why I made like soups before, which is really weird, but I was into it. And I was like, dude, you should make like a pulled pork. It's like, yeah, I don't feel it. And then, uh, so I, I think what I need to do is turkey. And then also, um, my family was like, you got to bring a side and a dessert for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to freaking perfect something. So I got some recipes ready to go and I'm going to be making all kinds of stuff. My family's going to be sick of it. They're probably not going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. Gain 40 pounds trying to perfect a side dish and a dessert to bring. But you got me a little bit excited. It's like, dude, I can go for some ribs, man. A little bit of pulled pork. I haven't pulled pork and my pulled pork is pretty good. I don't know. It gets dark and windy and cold and it's just like, eh, a little whiny. But uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate all the support that you've always shown. Uh, I appreciate the support for Fertile Ground Ranch. And uh, it was great that you had my dad come out and speak. And yeah, anybody that would like to support either Old Southern Barbecue or Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, that would be fantastic. I think they're both very worthy of of, uh, of the support. That is FertileGroundRanch.org for those that are interested. Hey, Ryan. This is Trucker Bob. Trucker Bob. We're out here in Seattle, Washington. Nice. And we dropped a load off this morning, and we'll pick one up tonight at midnight and then back to Chicago. Heartbreaker game, again yesterday. We've had five games come down to the last drive. We've only won one out of those five. And that's tough. Yes. Really tough. Okay, let's go over this. Let's do it. We had a clean game for the most part. There were 11 drives, only one. One of them uh, was a halftime, so I don't count that one. So there were 10 drives in which we tried to score. Four drives had penalties. One was offset, so it doesn't count. One happened after the interception, so it doesn't count. So we had two drives that were hit by penalties in the game, which is very, very good. I'm very happy with that. One we got a field goal out of, and one we had a three and out and punt. That left us eight drives with no penalties. I'll take that all season long. That's really a major improvement. They went TD, punt, TD, punt, field goal, punt, and then ended the game, interception, interception, So on no penalty plays, we went three scores out of eight tries. Now, I want to talk about this interception. That was a fly pattern down the sideline. It was actually one-on-one coverage. Jordan's pass was actually right on the money in the corner. He catches it. Game-winning touchdown. Some people said it was double coverage. No, that was just a safety coming over there late. He would not have affected the play. Can we just accept that the defender just made a great play? Because if he hadn't, we win the ball game. That was a great defensive play on this on it. So Watson, that was just a good play, and I I'm not going to be upset about it. Anyways, I got some more comments, but um, I'll call in for the next set. Yeah, I think um, it's actually something I wanted to bring up on tomorrow's podcast a little bit. I, I still do think it was underthrown. Uh, there was more room in the back end of the end zone. Um, but I, I do think there needs to be more of a conversation centered around there doesn't always need to be somebody burned at the stake for every single play. Um Dusty Evely, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but he had made uh, some kind of a comment on Twitter, and um, it was essentially like, I hate it when good play design and good execution is is uh, ruined by even better defensive play. And I, and the reason I like the comment so much is it's because it's exactly pointing that out. It's the defense made a play, and nobody on offense did anything wrong. Just the right call and great execution, and that's it. We don't always have to burn somebody at the stake. I know I just said that, but it's like I can't think of a more appropriate way to describe how the fan base acts sometimes. we got to find somebody to fire, somebody to cut, somebody that's a bust, somebody that's a bum. So again, I I wish there was a little bit more oomph on that path. So 
Christian Watson could catch it kind of away from the defender instead of trying to reach over the defender. I also wish Christian had identified it a little bit more so he could have, or, or he identified it sooner, but try to like stop and come back to the ball as opposed to like running and fading away. But you're right. At the same time, it's still up to the defender, number one, to stay in Christian's hip pocket. Number two, to dive up in the air and, and be able to hit the ball. We see it all the time where defenders wave their arms around trying to bat the ball away and just miss and it ends up getting caught for a touchdown. He hits it, pops it straight up in the air, and then the other defender has to catch it for an interception. I mean, it was just great execution by a defense. And I think that needs to be factored in more so than it is. There is an element of other players making good plays. Not everything is us beating ourselves and us being bums and worthless and pathetic and stupid. There's a little bit of that, but <laughs> not as much as we make it seem. Okay, continuing on from uh, almost winning the game with Watson down the sideline. And then we came back again and drove down the field. And, of course, we had the game interception. That was kind of like a Hail Mary desperation thing. We had to force it in there or, or lose, and it got intercepted. I, no complaints on that second interception. Now, I actually don't have any complaints on the first interception. That was just a good play that was well defended. Um, if I was Jordan, I saw Watkins flying down the sideline, I'd throw that pass too. All right, other comments. I'm really encouraged by our offensive line play. They only gave up one sack for minus six yards. They did accomplish 116 yards rushing for a 4.8 average. They held penalties to a minimum of just two in the game. None of them cost us the game, not like in the past. Jordan actually had a pretty good game of two TDs, 289 yards, and he had a shot at two more, one of them which was almost. And then um, we had some great pass plays. We had... Pass plays of 46, 36, 32, and 20 yards to four different players. I really love seeing that part. It was sad that we lost the game. We're getting there. We are improving, and we can see it. Anyways, for the season, we've had 93 drives. 42 of them had penalties. Seven led to scores, so only 16.6% of the time do we score when we have an offensive penalty. We had 50 drives with no penalties, 25 scores, so 50% of the time we're able to score when we don't have penalties. My last comment is we've had a lot of heartbreaking games. We are 3-6. and six. But five of those games came down to the last drive, and we are one in four. I just think as this team matures and grows and learns to win at the end of the game, that we won't be going one in four in the future. Hopefully, this year it'll start, but more likely it's probably next year. And I'm looking forward to this team doing very well down the road. I can see improvement week by week. That's Trucker Bob with his comments. I'm out. Yeah, and that's that's kind of a, you know, when you talk about whether you're a fraud or whatever the inverse of a fraud is, um, wildly unlucky, one of the things you look at is one-score games. And you're right, they're one and four in those situations. Because generally you look at that and say, you know, should be around 50-50 and, you know, if you have a team that, you know, is a playoff caliber team, if you're 50-50 in one score games, but you end up with the top five pick, that's one of the teams that a lot of people are going to look at as a team that takes a big jump. So that is worth noting that a lot of these losses, Atlanta, we lost by one point. Raiders, we lost by four points. Broncos, two points. Steelers, four points. These are all winnable games. And if we win all those, which again, is not likely either, but we only lost 14 points to the Lions and 14 points to the Vikings. Aside from that, they're all one-score losses. They all could have gone either way. And as far as the wins, only one of them was one score, which was the New Orleans Saints. We won 18-17. We beat the Bears 38-20 and beat the Rams 20-3. It's also worth noting, as you said, the, the, inter the penalties were much better in this game. Now, the result wasn't much better. 
But that's another box that we've been looking to get checked for a while is they need to be better with penalties. And they were. Instead of eight, nine, 10 penalties, 11 penalties or whatever, it was what, five? And as you said, I think like two of them were pretty inconsequential. Sounds good to me. Why don't we take our first break? Patreon.com forward slash Pack underscore Daddy is where you can support the podcast or hit me up on Venmo at Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Brian, Kyle from Madison, man, what's up? What's up? So I hate to say this, but I, I kind of come to the conclusion that outside of the Vikings and Packers, currently the most annoying fan base to me is my own. <laughs> Unfortunately, like the, these divisions, I made the mistake. I made the mistake of peeking on social media, throwing on the YouTube. Oh, I should have just never done it. I, I, I don't know. It's not that I was, like, under any illusions that it was some civil place with, like, well-thought-out opinions and whatnot. But, like, oh, man, 15 minutes on there, and, oh, I'm so annoyed with my fellow Packer fans. It is bad. And I, I think, again, the, the biggest – talked about this on Packernet Derailed last night, but it's it's so emotionally unstable just as far as, like, the wild mood swings. On one hand – Everybody that does anything wrong is the worst human being on planet Earth. On the other hand, like, everybody is our new savior. Like, Sean Ryan has to play. Gotta play him. God, the greatest thing ever. Then Tavian Wicks. Like, we gotta have Aaron Jones, right? He was, like, he's he's the whole savior of our team, and he's not. Why aren't you giving him the ball? It's a crazy. And then, you know, he has a bad game. It's, oh, he's terrible. It's like, man, just relax. Relax, please. It's just. It feels a lot like Entitled Town, and I'm not saying that getting used to losing is a good idea, but I was watching the very excellent, uh, what is it, like a six-part YouTube series that the Packers had put out, right? It goes through the whole history of the Green Bay Packers. It's awesome. And I was watching it again, and it was the, uh, the Ron Wolf era. You know, they bring in Brett Favre, and they're interviewing Favre, and... It was fun because I'm in my 40s. So, you know, I grew up in that era. And, I mean, you know, when we won a game, it was like the Super Bowl, you know. And when when Mikowski came in and they, and they won, it went 8-8, eight and eight, I mean, it felt like, oh, my gosh. And then when Favre and that team was on the ascendancy, we, we couldn't get past the Cowboys, but you could just feel them building, you know. But for a lot of years, I mean – Tar was up or down, and then he finally reached that point where he was just unstoppable. And I think a lot of people look at the interceptions, and they maybe don't realize just how dominant he was for like a four- or five-year stretch in the night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was absolutely as dominant as you could be um, when he won those three MVPs. But he made a good point in that documentary, you know, when he said, you know, winning that Super Bowl was like the greatest thing ever, but it changed everything. And it's so true because – you know, from that point on, with the exception of maybe one or two years, from 1996 on to, to the current time, the expectation has been Super Bowl. And then the years before that, it, it just wasn't. It was, can we do it? Can we build? Can we get closer? Can we beat the Cowboys? And so, I mean, for, the, for those of you that grew up during the era where it's only been Super Bowl or bust, 
I'm sure that this year is even more of a horrible experience than it is for me. But I think we need a little bit more patience. There will be time to worry about who to fire and who to keep. Let's just focus on the positives for a couple more weeks, gang. All right? Yeah, and, um, you know, again, I think that goes to, you know, how, how do we fix this? Well, you can't, at least not right now. But you can take steps in a direction. And that's why, you know, I know it's annoying that I call it an evaluation year, but it's like, that's, that's why, because there is no fixing this. Not now. You have to evaluate what it is we have and who we want to build around and who needs to be essentially kind of replaced. And it doesn't, even that doesn't have to be immediate, right? Even if we think Jordan Love needs to be replaced, it doesn't have to be like panic. You know, we're picking at seven and three quarterbacks are gone, but we need somebody. So just grab the next best. Like, no, it's, it's fine. We'll, we'll get there when we get there, right? We don't need to panic and rush into another quarterback situation. That's a disaster. Like, let's just, let's build, let's get the next best thing. And that's that's kind of where we're at. I mean, it's it's not a great football team, and it won't be until we at least establish a couple things. We have to have, you know, the the most important thing is the trio, GM, coach, and quarterback. And I think if you do that, you can go a long way. And that's kind of the biggest question mark is, do we have the GM? I'm happy with it. Do we have the coach? I'm torn, but I'm leaning toward yes. Do we have the quarterback? I'm torn, but I'm leaning toward no. But let's let it play out. Let's see how it goes. Again, I don't think we're going to end up with a top three pick, which means I don't think we're going to end up with a new quarterback. I think Jordan Love will be our quarterback next year. So it's just, it's going to be a little bit of a, of a slow build. Unless Jordan Love completely pops off and suddenly we've got, you know, a top, let's say top 10, maybe top five-ish quarterback, then it's like, all right, let's see what we can do here. But I mean, patience really is the key. And that's, that ultimately is what's missing. Right? Somebody makes a wrong comment, they got to go. Somebody has like two good snaps. They're the greatest ever. They should be playing. Why is this idiot playing? Like there is such an unbelievable lack of patience. Like just relax. Football has so many wild swings. Everything you say is going to sound stupid next week because it's like, it was a good day. Big deal. Next week, it'll be a bad day. And then what? They should be, they went from, they need to be starting to, they shouldn't even be on the team or can we just calm down? I mean, we can start exploring things like maybe Wicks needs to play a little more, or maybe we should look at Sean Ryan since John Runyon's struggling as much as he is, and it's worth discussing. But we don't need to get into, like, this This coaching staff is an abomination because they're not doing it. Like, well, maybe there's a reason they're not doing it. Just because you saw two snaps on social media and really have no idea what happened, but assume that it was super great and assume that everyone else is super terrible. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's so, like, it used to make me upset. Now it's just kind of like, I, I just kind of sit back in amazement, like, wow, this is, it's like watching a freaking volcano erupt. It's, it's horrible and devastating, but you can't look away. And that's just, that's how I feel about social media. Like it is just, it is a wasteland of just panic and anger and just wild thrashing around. And it's like, this is just, it's kind of embarrassing to watch. So I just, you know, I, I've had to refrain a couple times, you know, there was uh one place somebody posted, they're, they're going on a tirade about how basically Christian Watson and the receivers are all terrible. He showed like highlights of guys catching passes and whatnot. And one of the ones was, see, Christian Watson didn't get any separation. It's like, bro, come on, man. He, he slowed down to catch the football. Of course he didn't get separation. If he had separation, that's a pick. If he just hits the Jets and tries to run away from the guy, he's not going to catch the football because the football will be behind him. He had to slow down to catch the ball, and the defender was right there. But people just need a reason to piss and moan about stuff. Like, how can you not see that? It's so painfully obvious. But we're just on, a, on, on an absolute witch hunt to go prove that, you know, Watson is terrible, or, or Josh Myers is terrible, or Matt LaFleur is terrible, or Joe Barry is terrible, or all these people are terrible. Everybody's to Jair is terrible. Now Aaron Jones is terrible. He was, a, he was a superhero two weeks ago. Now he's just complete washed up garbage. A.J. Dillon. I mean, think about all the different villains we've gone through. A.J. Dillon was the worst ever. Musgrave is on the cut because he falls down. So he's, he's, he's so close to being pitchfork town because he falls down sometimes when he catches these big passes. Like there's always a new villain. And then we just move on to the next one and we forget about the other one. Like, wait a minute. Now A.J. Dillon's a superhero. Like, well, do you feel at least a little bad for calling him a piece of garbage for like four or five weeks? Like, I, we, we have to at some point pause 
and think about the way we're acting and realize that I shouldn't be saying these things because I, I want to be able to enjoy when they do good things. But I, I think there's so little self-awareness. It's like, I'm going to call you a piece of garbage and wish for your friggin' life to be over. And then when you do good, I'm just going to cheer for you and act like I've been your fan all along. Like, no, come on, man. I would hope that there would be some level of like, wow, I said a lot of stuff that I wish I didn't say, and maybe I should cool it next time. But nope, there's no cool in it. It's just, okay, he's fine. Uh, now it's Aaron Jones that's a piece of crap. And Matt LaFleur still sucks. And these people suck. And this guy sucks. And everybody sucks. It's like, oh my good lord. I got to get out of here. This is ridiculous. Hey, Ryan. It's A.A. Ron. What's up? Claire. Um, just watching the game yesterday, I was... Um, I guess there was a few moments where I was really encouraged. The uh, deep passing, for sure, connecting on several medium to deep passes that uh, we haven't really seen uh, enough of or any this year. So I thought that was promising. I thought those two interceptions were more Jordan Love's fault than people are giving credit for. Um, the one, the first one, was a little underthrown, I think. The second one, I watched it back. Um, there was really no one in the vicinity of that ball other than Steelers defensive back. So, um, I think he could have probably given a little more air, lofted it up, given some of his players a chance to react. Um, as it was, it was just a straight line into, uh, a line of <laughs> Steelers defenders. So, um, I, I'm not going to necessarily give the sort of I've heard some people say you know oh, I can't really fault him it's the last play of the game well I would say that is true if the ball sort of had a 50-50 chance or something closer to 50-50 it looked like it was just a straight line to the defender so I don't know um, I'm sure those are the types of things you could review in the film room and kind of go, hey, next time we're in this situation, yeah. you know, try to put the ball here. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a make-or-break type um, moment. I think that's a coachable thing. But um, on the negative side, uh, defensively, obviously the run defense, I'm sure everyone's talking about it. Um, but what bothered me watching that was not just that they got a lot of the yards, but like, it looked like those defenders were completely non-existent on those plays. Like the, especially the uh, front line, um, like just like the Steelers' offensive line were able to part them like, like it was nothing, yeah. part uh, and then create a big hole. And it was like, what happened? Like the first running touchdown, it was just like they walked in. It was like what? Where was the, where was the pushback? Where was, where where was the making it difficult on them? It was just a run, right into the end zone with no real resistance. And I just don't know if that's you know Steelers out muscling the D line or you got cut off there. Yeah, and it, look, it, like everything else, it's it is a combination. I mean. There's no shortage of people that are showing examples of situations where the the players had no chance, right? I mean, it's just completely, I mean, take almost any defense aside from occasionally some player's going to make like a heroic play. I mean, that does that stuff does happen. You know, you got a two-on-one block and you shed them and you go make a play or whatever, but just not being put in a good position to succeed. Um, but there are also examples of guys just not winning, and, and then on some level you have to win. You know, um, that's kind of the the way with defense. I mean, you're always in a position to some degree where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Um, especially since the offense can see what alignment you're in and can make changes. So, yeah, I mean, the the defensive coordinator needs to do a better job. I'm I'm fairly convinced of that. Uh, but I also know that you know guys can do better, and this didn't feel to me like a game where people were out making plays, right? I mean, Rashawn, I'm tempted to give him some slack because every time I watched him, he was double teamed. Now, I'm sure that wasn't the case always, and sometimes you got to beat a double team and, um, you know, whatever, but somebody else has got to make a play. You know, what? where was TJ Slayton in this one? Was he double teamed the whole time? I can't imagine two guys are double teamed every every single snap. Where was Slayton with this run defense? 
Um, where, where, where are, you know, all, all the other, where's Kenny, what's he doing? You know? So, you know, I think it's when you see the combination of not the greatest defensive play caller in the world and a bunch of guys that, you know, are kind of just baseline doing their job, but are not like making plays, you know, like winning and and beating guys and single-handedly destroying a play. You end up with that where it's just, you just get pushed around and it just looks bad. You know, the, the defenders are waiting on the play caller to kind of scheme them into position to succeed. And, and the defensive play caller is waiting for somebody to step up and make a play. And they're both just depending on each other and nobody's really stepping up to the plate. Now, it wasn't every single play. And certainly there were times where the defense stepped up, but it, it wasn't enough. And it's just, it's kind of hard to watch. Hey, uh, just making sure I finished my thought here. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was just like a physical thing, like the Steelers O-line just kind of manhandled the the uh, Packers D-line or if it was a scheme thing where they were able to get some kind of advantage there. I don't really know. It looked more like just they completely suffocated the D-line and, and opened up a big hole. Um, so anyways, that was not, not positive at all. Um, but, um, on the positive side, the Packers O-line, yeah, I mean, they're giving Jordan Love a lot of time when, yeah. when he's on play. obvious passing plays. I don't see him getting a lot of pressure at all. So, um, in that sense, I think, you know, you're getting a pretty good evaluation of him in, on passing downs, uh, except for maybe mistakes that other people are making. I think you're at least getting a chance to see how he reacts and makes decisions and whatnot. So and it seems like it's still a work in progress, and sometimes it's, I don't know how fixable that is. If it's a, uh, something where, you know, it's just getting the feel for playing the position at that professional level, if it's something that almost never gets – improved it's sort of set in ink this is you know where you're going to be the rest of your career and so obviously nobody knows there is a possibility that people can improve but it's not a super frequent occurrence I guess that you see somebody just completely skyrocket to another level um but it's possible and it has happened and I mean even Nick Foles won a Super Bowl for the Eagles their first ever yeah and uh you know, we've seen him play certain seasons like like he doesn't even belong in the NFL, and certain <laughs> seasons like like he's an elite quarterback. So uh, hard to hard to know sometimes. But anyways, I enjoyed the game nonetheless, and I enjoyed the positive aspects that they're improving on. Hopefully, they can continue. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we we choose to forget how wildly things can change. Um, you know, Aaron Jones, for example. Right. It's it's completely unacceptable at one point to think that maybe you should move on from Aaron Jones. And granted, he came back, you know, let's say last year and, and played fantastic. And it's like, all right, well, fair enough. He did a good job. But the idea that he could just fall off a cliff just didn't seem to really occur to anybody. Like, no, he's elite. He's great. He's just the great, you know, it's just it's just it's just a reality and reality doesn't change. And so anybody that wanted to get rid of him was, is a complete idiot. And then when there's a new reality, we just pretend that this has always been the reality and everybody knew it. And it's just like, okay. stuff changes, man. And um, yeah, that could be true for Jordan Love. Uh, it, it already is true. He is changing. He is getting better. He is improving. True for Watson and Dobbs and Reed. And we don't need to just take these small sample sizes, especially ill-informed sample sizes, which is to say we don't know much based on how little they've played. We also don't know much because we're not actually really watching very closely. Even the ones going back to in film review, I mean, they know 10 times more. But even from that vantage point, there's, there's only so much you can know. There's only so much you can learn, especially if we're tra- talking about what's going to happen next year or next week, for that matter. How many times has there been a new breakout player this week? And that's just the, oh, man, oh, here we go. Da, 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 da. I mean, do you know how many receipts are going to be out there if Christian Watson has a big week next week or any of these weeks? And it's just unnecessary. Don't put yourself in a position where you're rooting against somebody. That's that's all I can say. And I know that can be hard. I mean, I, I get into those moments, too, where it's like I, I battle against people's opinions, like with Jordan Love. And I'm not trying to be negative, but 
there, there's almost this feeling of like Jordan goes out and plays well, and there's like this uncomfortable feeling of, oh, great. Now everyone's going to be like coming at me. It's like, listen, don't go down that road because then you're going to start like rooting against the guy. Don't do that. This is your quarterback. This is who you want to succeed and be very good at this stuff. Don't go down those paths. And I, maybe I'm alone in that, but I know it's it's a slippery slope, especially when you get into a bunch of online arguments or whatever the case may be about this guy's a bum or whatever, and then they start doing well, and you're like, Ugh. and then people start messaging you like, oh, you saw you, you idiot. Uh, now what? And you're like, I hope he drops a pass, freaking. Then I'll then I'll show him. Let's not put ourselves in a position to where we're rooting against our own team. And I'm not even talking about the draft. That's a separate thing because that's, again, in a sense, still rooting for the team. I'm talking about I want to win an argument, so I'm going to root against these players. Like, you know, I feel like the anti-Gutekunst crowd is, is some of the worst because they root against everybody. Because anybody that's good is good for Gutekunst. And everybody that's bad since he built the whole team is great. But yeah, now what about Rashawn? Look at Jair. He's a jerk. These guys suck. Dylan was a stupid pick, and Myers is a garbage pick, and did it, did it, did it, and they're rooting against everybody so that they can win their argument that they've been battling on social media forever that Gutekunst is a piece of crap. What a miserable way to be. Don't do that. Just for your own sake. I mean, do whatever you want to do. I just, I know as somebody who's like dipped my toe in those waters, it's just, it's not fun. It just, it's not, you know, when I think about why I became a Packer fan, and I've mentioned this before, it's, it's, I mean, first and foremost, it was my dad. He was a Packer fan. I mean, I grew up in Illinois, but my dad was from Wisconsin, so we were Packer fans. But, I mean, the best possible memories are being at grandma's house with all the family and the extended family in the quote-unquote pool room, which was a massive living room that used to be a swimming pool, but they converted it, and just cheering for the Packers, you know? Who wants to be a Packer fan so that they can piss and moan and grumble? Here comes another loss. Oh, look at this idiot. If we're not in this to have a good Sunday with like the cool brisk air in the fall and family and cheering and screaming and great food and you know a a community and an entire state and everybody kind of coming together as as one group then what are we doing this for go we should just find something else to do I don't need one more thing to argue with people about I have no interest in that arguing with strangers it comes with the territory to some degree because I have a podcast but That's not why I signed up for this. That's not why I became a Packer fan. That's not why I'm going to stay a Packer fan if I stay a Packer fan. It's not going to be to do this. So I'm hoping that Packer fans kind of learn a little bit. This is a new thing and learn how to be a fan of a team that's not just dominating everybody all the time. But I mean, I've I've already, I mean, it's unfortunate because it's a lot of people that I converse with all the time and I go on social media, I see what they're saying and it's just like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And that's all everybody wants to do now is just tear everybody down all the time. And it's like, well, all right, I guess I'll just do my own thing. I'll record the podcast. I'll give my thought and then I'll go about my business because it is just an absolute mob scene on social media. It's just, it's just a constant 24 seven lynch mob where we're trying to find the newest, latest victim. And right now it's Matt LaFleur because he mentioned four down linemen and now he needs to go and he is the worst thing ever. And it's like, I, I mean, look, I, I made fun of him too a little bit because you know, I don't think that's really the point, but it certainly is not reason enough to be like, I'm done. I'm, I, I am done. That's it. I've had it. Like, <laughs> that's it. Now you're done. That was the thing. Okay. I don't know if people just like participating in it because it's like a fun, cool thing. And this is like, which is what makes me nervous. Cause it's like, we got to participate in this new cool thing. And I want to be a part of the cool kids club. So now it's like, who can be the most outraged about something stupid? And it's like, I just, I'm not, that's not fun for me. That's not what I enjoy doing with my time. Again, there's nothing wrong with saying, here's what I think is wrong. Obviously, a lot of things are wrong, but there's a calm and measured way to try to take the information and give our best estimate as to what seems to be working, what's not, what we should be more patient with, what we don't think needs more time, right? Like, does Joe Barry need more time? Uh, I don't think so. Does Jordan Love need more time? Yeah. Should Matt LaFleur be given patience? I think so, given his track record and given what I've seen from the team. I mean, I've seen a team rally and play with passion. I've seen what I deem to be good play calling, so I'm, I'm good with it. But aside from that, we just, we just move on, man. I promise you the lynch mob isn't going to fix anything. Nobody ever got better from firing somebody, right? If they got better, it's because they improved something. We don't want to improve anything. We just want to just attack everybody. We don't have solutions. It's just, I hate that person. I want them gone. Like, okay. Whatever. 
And again, I'm open to discussing it because obviously I've done that. You know, should we move on from Matt LaFleur? Should we move on from Jordan Love? Maybe it's time. Maybe Gutekunst is the pro. You know, we got to discuss it. But that's the thing. I don't think we're discussing it. I think we're just angry. And that's not super stimulating to me. Anyways, let's take our final break. We'll come back. We got some more Kyle from Madison. Hey, Kyle from Madison. Hey. I, I, want, I had to call back in and just uh, Jersey Mike was just calling and, and, and going off about that. That lateral call and, you know, asking, well, what can we do? And I, I agree, like, it's so dumb. <laughs> this is like the biggest sporting organization in America can't have full-time referees. It's just, it's mind Like, like I actually know one of the guys who's a referee. He was, uh, went to my high school. He actually, uh, was the guy that you remember last year, Justin Jefferson took off his helmet and hit a, a ref. Yeah. Uh, that was my car. That was the guy that went to my high school. <laughs> um, and he's been doing it for years now, but yeah, he has a second job. And some of these guys are like insur- insurance salesmen. I do think like it's any, like any other craft. If you, you know, there must be ways they can give these guys real world situations or send them out to practices more and more than like send them back to be insurance salesmen during the off season. That being said, to me, the most troubling thing that I'm seeing this year and that lateral play is a huge example of it. And I, and I called in earlier this year because if you remember the shadow empire, or whatever shadow referee called in and, and notified them that like Runyon wasn't illegally downfield. So it was to our favor early in the season, if you remember, um, which was just weird because then that same week it happened the opposite for the bills. So that's troubling the consistency. But what really is troubling to me is that I think it's not just about finding out what happened. It's about covering your ass and looking good because you know, I think the NFL on that lateral call, for example, it was easier for them to just say, nope, it's Steelers ball. It wasn't a la- it wasn't, you know, backwards pass. It would, they would rather just look like they're right the first time, even though they're obviously not, than, than fix the call. And to me, that's the most upsetting thing because all the technology and all of the, you know, you know, 60 hours a week of referee training, that doesn't matter when the NFL gets involved and has an ego in this thing and doesn't ever want to be wrong or in some cases wants to insert their new, you know, um, what do I want to say, their new focus de jour into that replay. So it's not even like the technology matters because the NFL has developed more and more and more of an innuendo with these things. And clearly that lateral is a perfect example. It's obvious. It's obvious what it is, but the refs made the bad call. So the NFL, in my opinion, would just rather stick with the call than make it right because they want a safe space. And that is the problem, gang. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's right more than it's wrong, and that's why I like I, I shouldn't say it that way. I, it We're getting it right more often than we did before. And it also speeds up the game, so I do like it. But I, I do think you're right that it's there's far too often that um, they want to defer to letting the refs be right. And I understand that generally being the default, if it really is like we can't tell, that makes sense. You obviously wouldn't want to overturn it. But I just think this one is so glaring because it's one of two things. Either number one, there is some basic technology, like things like cameras that came out a long time ago, that give you angles so that you can actually see where that ball traveled. And if you're telling me that you don't have enough technology to figure that out, I think that that's troubling. Or you're saying we do have the technology and we do have the ability to pull a bunch of people in and we still think that it was a forward pass. It just kind of shows like how far away we are from actually getting it right. Again, I prefer it. I don't want it to go away because it makes it better than not having it, but it's still very far away from just being, I think, adequate. This was an easy one. I mean, this is one that you could very quickly, you know, one of those where you don't even need to go under the hood. We can see it from New York. Let me just pull up the camera angle. There's where he threw it. Draw a little dot. There's where the ball is. Dot. That's not for The only thing that would take time is, okay, we blew the play dead. So we'll give the Packers the ball, but we can't let him advance the ball because we blew it dead or whatever you want to do. And I saw somebody showed he actually stepped out of bounds either way. So it wouldn't have been a touchdown, but that's the only thing we got to get the clock right. We got to get the yardage right. But we know the call immediately. 
And the fact that they spent that much time looking at it and said, yeah, I don't know. Let's just leave it. Come on, man. I feel like um, uh, I'll say we're going in the right direction, but we've got a ways to go. Hey, Kyle from Madison. One other thing I want to say about this officiating. So international soccer went to VAR, Video Assisted Refereeing, a few years after the NFL did. And it started out all right, because if you know that game at all, there's an offside rule. You can't be past the final defender uh, when the ball is played. You have to be even with them. It, it's, they have a chip in the ball. Now, granted, there's no, they don't really need to see when the um, like where somebody's knee is. So, like, the chip is helpful in soccer because, like, you know where the ball is. You just look, when did it leave the guy passing its foot? and then look on your fancy computer where the chip is. It's a little bit more convoluted when, you know, you're trying to figure out where a guy's knee is in relation to a ball. Um, however, it was helpful initially. Uh, you know, if the ball crosses the line, it's a goal, it's a goal. Basically just those two things. But they have since been litigating everything that happens in the box. And in soccer, you know, a lot of times a penalty kick, I mean, you're talking about one event that is the whole game a lot of times, especially if it's in the last, like, 20 minutes. And, and in soccer, even more so than, than football, I mean, if you're playing a defensive game, I mean, you, you may only have one goal, two goals in the game. So the sheer joy of scoring a goal after working for it for 90 minutes is almost unparalleled. And I would say, you know, there are a few things in my life that are going to get me screaming, running up and down, doing laps around my kitchen, uh, you know, butcher block, screaming for joy. There aren't many things in my life. Outside of, like, the Packers scoring an awesome touchdown, and they're going to make me do that as a grown-ass man, <laughs> you know? And the problem the NFL is, is they're literally taking the joy yeah. out of amazing things. And what I mean is, <clears throat> it's like I'm starting to not allow myself to be happy for super amazing plays anymore. Because now the lawyers, quote-unquote, have to come in and lawyer everything and litigate everything and then figure out what, you know. And so instead of feeling unbridled joy, which is why I, I watch the Packers in the first place, because they can, they in moments they make me so happy. And instead of that, all it is, it's like, hold on, hold on, let's see. Yep. And it's replaced, replaced by relief if it goes our way. Right. And You know what I mean? And, and so, like, literally the reason people are watching, I understand a lot of people bet on it, but, like, for the rest of us that don't, it's for the sheer joy when we do something great. And that's being replaced by a hold up, hold up, let's see, and then relief, which is nowhere near as great of a thing. And so, man, they've got to get it figured out. They're going to lose this sport. I'm telling you, they are going to lose it. I don't care how big it is. You cannot take away. Yeah, I mean, that that, that is true. That's every single time that something happens, a big play, a touchdown, whatever. There's always like a, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see. Any flags? Any flags? I thought I saw something yellow. Do you see something yellow? I thought I saw something. No? It's just, it, 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 you're right. It, it does take away from that. And even if you do jump out of your chair, there, there's that feeling of dread, like, oh, shoot. Is there a flag? And you got to stop the celebration and turn around. And then, and then when there is a flag, and part of, and, you know, the reason that we do that isn't just because we've become just weird and pessimistic people. It's because there's always a flag. It's got to be 50% of the time there's a flag. And there's nothing worse than celebrating and turning around and seeing a flag and just flopping down on the couch and going, yep, here we go, figures. Who did it? What was it? What, OPI? Holding? Something stupid? Unfrickin' believable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an over-officiated game, that's for sure. All right, let's sneak in one more here from caller number five. Hey, caller number five here. Um, so head coach press, press, press conference today where he said it's baffling, comical, and people expose themselves when people critique the Packers for having two down linemen, quote, um, because we, we only have two down linemen when defending the nickel. He says, oh, but the outside linebackers are actually, well, he, he really, well, actually, <laughs> the outside linebackers are considered down linemen, so they're, <laughs> like, are, are we for real? Just deflecting a legitimate question because of a technical um, verbiage thing. Like, that's not what we're asking or what the reporter was asking and what people are complaining about. 
and you know that's not what we're complaining about or asking. Um, just kind of a gutless deflection of a legitimate question. Yeah, I mean, at at worst, you say something like, well, I mean, technically we don't. We have four down linemen, right? We go from essentially a 3-4 front to a 4-3 front where you got the four uh, down line, which even that, again, some of the cases that's not even true because you have two down linemen and two stand-up outside linebackers um, if we're getting hyper-technical here. But, um, yeah, at best, you're just like, look, well, technically we have four. It's not a two-man front. It's a four-man front. But I get what you're saying. It's a lighter front. Anyways, with that being said, here are my thoughts. But, yeah, to go on like a three-minute, five-minute tirade about, you know. And, and and I think the thing that bothers most people, aside from the deflection, is the defense of it. Like, this is a legitimate concern after your team just got gashed. And I have a question about you using lighter fronts and getting gashed in the run game, and you're going to lecture me about, you know, the technicalities of the verbiage as as though we don't know. And may, maybe he thinks we don't know, because obviously compared to his level of understanding, we are a bunch of idiots. I mean, that's legitimate. So he doesn't know to what level we don't know. And, and again, you certainly don't want reporters out there saying we have two down linemen, because that's we don't want them thinking it's there's we're running a two-man front, because that's obviously not the case. So I understand the frustration of like, you know, fair critiques are fair, but, you know, let's not start swinging wildly about stuff that you don't know what you're talking about. But, um, yeah, I, I get where it's kind of like, come on, Matt, like we don't need to spend this much time when you know, that's not what's being asked. Uh, I wish they would have followed up with, well, then why is your run defense so bad? Um, it was just, wow, man, what an answer, huh? Anyway, I, I'm sure you're roasting him, or maybe you agree. I don't know. Uh, I haven't listened to whatever podcast is coming out tomorrow yet. But, uh, yeah, uh, really annoying. I, I, I'm i not liking this guy very much this year, and uh, some of the decisions from years past have uh, followed the trend that we're seeing this year. So, I don't know, man. He's not doing a good job. And he should be on the hot seat. That's all. Take it easy. I think the thing that I don't like, and it, you know, what you say to the media and how you act in front of, you know, the the media and the fans or whatever is not necessarily what's happening behind the scenes. But what I don't like is the constant defense of the way things are being done in such a way that essentially, and he's he's outright said this over the years, essentially indicating he has no idea what the problem is or how to fix it. That's what I really don't like. Um, who the heck is calling me from New Hampshire? Freaking spammers. Um, you know, I mean, that that's kind of how I take it, where it's like, well, you don't understand. Like, you have to do that. Okay, well, I, I get what you're saying, and I understand where it's like, well, you can't just be a man all the time, and you can't just have, you know, base defense all the time, because then you're going to get gashed in the pass, and you can't, you know just go single high or just go to safety or just, you can't just do anything. I get all those things. You have to mix and match all these different things, but there's, there's, that still leaves a very important question. And that question is how is it that some defenses are able to do a very, very good job, whereas yours is not? Because ultimately that's what we're trying to get to. And if all you're going to say is execution, then it sounds to me like you're throwing the GM under the bus. You're saying that Joe Barry is doing a fantastic job and you're doing a good job and everybody's doing exactly what they need to do schematically. And we just don't have the players. Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell. These guys are not good football players. Razul, when he was here, not good. Keyshawn, all these guys, they're not good enough. Devontae Wyatt, wasted pick. Brooks and Wooden, garbage. Rudy Ford, trash. They're just not good football players, period. And we need all new football players because the scheme is sound and every decision at every point makes sense. And our guys are in a position to succeed. Our guys do have the leverage on our defense over their offense. They're just refusing to execute. We're putting them in positions to succeed and they're not executing. Okay, so your position is the players suck, the GM sucks, and you guys should keep your jobs and we should get all new players and a new GM. Because if that's not what you're saying, then stop saying it. And there, there have been times he's, he's made comments, and I understand the frustration, and I understand he's in a tough spot where it's like, you know, the, the media oftentimes wants blood, and the coach is not going to want to go out and 
help shed blood of 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 coaches right because that's they're hunting for you and your guys and your team you're not going to help them in that endeavor but when you defend it that's a whole other thing if you want to take a, a little jab back like yeah well obviously you don't have any idea what you're talking about but you know at the anyways we do have some stuff we need to clean up and we need to work on this that but when you flat out just defend everything well, well, well you have to do that there's there's nothing else you can do like, are you serious so everybody does that why does everybody not fail the way you fail if it has to be done, because that's that's ultimately the point. And maybe the media is not doing a good job of, of articulating that because we always think that the fix comes in a certain alignment or a certain coverage scheme. And that's nonsense. It's about calling the right things at the right time. It's not about what well, you have a light front. Everybody has a light front and everybody uses a base front and everybody has different. Everybody does the same things. It's about how much you do certain things and when you do certain things. Again, getting back to my stupid rock, paper, scissors thing. Rock, paper, and scissors, not one of them is any more valuable than the other. And we get so hung up on, we, 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 we got to use more rock, man. We got to use more rock. We got to use more rock. That's stupid. We need to use rock more when they're using scissors. We need to use paper more when they're using rock. And we need to use scissors more when they're using paper. The problem is we're calling the wrong things at the wrong times. That's the problem. It's not about using one more than the other. And then, yeah, it, it, it becomes a stupid argument when the media is like, how come you're constantly using paper? Isn't paper fragile? Why are you always using paper? It's like everybody uses paper. There's nothing wrong with using paper. And this is the argument we have going back and forth. That's not, these aren't the right questions and they're not the right answers to the wrong, to the right questions. Putting your guys in an opportunity, in a position to succeed is about calling the right things at the right times. It's all about leverage in any given play. And this is what I talked about before when I had um, Coach Hahn and Sam Holman, we did a YouTube video together, which I thought was really cool because there were no players. It was just... Um, Sam called a play, Brian called a play, and then they kind of flipped over the cards. We looked at it and we had to determine who would win that. It's interesting because not all plays are equal and it's just about execution. That's bullcrap. The play to some degree is determined before the snap. You called the exact right defensive play to guard my offensive. Now there's always a chance that you've got some superstars that can make it work, but it just comes down to percentages based on the two calls this is like a 70% success rate for the defense. And I don't think we understand that a lot of times as fans. If your defense is consistently losing, it's possible your players are just complete garbage. It's also possible that your guys are constantly being put in 30-70 situations where there's a 70% success rate that the offense is going to succeed because it's the right call against this defense. And the only way it doesn't work is if, you know, you have a receiver that slips or the quarterback throws a bad pass or maybe somebody gets a quick pressure or whatever the case may be that can blow this up. But it's still a play that prior to the snap, you would look at the offensive call, the defensive call and say, this is a play that should work for the offense. This is the right call based on that defense. And I think that is the most interesting aspect of football that is not being discussed. You can look at the offensive and defensive play call and see who won, who called rock, who called paper. It's also a way to look at it and say, how many times did our defense succeed or fail when they should have? The defense failed and they were put in a position to succeed. It was a 60% swing for the defense and they still failed. That's on the players. How many times when it's a 20%er does somebody make a play? TJ Slayton busts up a double team and makes a tackle in the backfield. That should have been a big, big loss for the Packers. It's just the unseen game behind the game that we don't see, we don't talk about. And I just think the discussions we have are so dumb. The question, to be honest, was dumb. The answer to the question was dumb. You're asking about a light front again. I mean, what a stupid question. Do you want them to not use light fronts anymore? Should they just use base defense? Should it be like a 1984 defense where we just use a base front? Why do we have to simplify everything, make everything so stupid? That's not how things work. It's not about that. What it is about is, is calling the right thing at the right time. And when you see consistent failure... I have no choice but to assume that we don't have somebody consistently calling the right thing at the right time. It's my assumption. It could be wrong. I don't know. But that's where I'm at. Three years of defensive failure with what I deem to be very good football players based on statistics and grades and things of that nature. Guys that we know can be best in the NFL, including uh, an edge rusher, including a corner, including a linebacker. We've seen... Um, Savage play well. We've seen Kenny Clark play well, not necessarily under Joe Barry, but we've seen all these guys play at the top of the entire league, and yet they're consistently losing. I would really have a hard time believing they're consistently being put in a position to win. Sometimes, yes. Consistently, I doubt it. 
So I, I again, I think the question is stupid. I think the answer was evasive and um, combative unnecessarily. But I just, I just don't like the general discussion. And again, it kind of goes to the whole overreaction thing of, you know, we, we're trying to find a quick solution. We got to play more man. We got to, you know, blitz more, or blitz mass, more, less, more in coverage, more base, more. To, it's like, you can't just pick a thing, do it more and expect to win. That's not the point. We have to do all the things. The more things we can do, the better. The, the more creative we can be because we have a, a bigger playbook, because we can really stress these guys because they're able to do lots of things. That's even better because we can throw more at them. But now we need to be able to use the right tools at the right time. Do the right tools for the right jobs. Using a hammer to tighten a screw is probably not going to be the best way to go about things. Trying to paint with a drill, probably not great. I mean, maybe, but I'm thinking probably not. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you guys so much for all of your calls. We've got 23 to get through, so I will do my best. Um, Probably use a couple of these on the podcast for tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, one of the things I would like to start looking at is where we are at and look at some other teams that were in our position and see what we can glean. Obviously, we know where we're at as far as the draft is concerned, and we'll talk about that as well. But I also want to look at the other side of it. What are what are some teams that had success at three and six that turned it around, that went to the playoffs, um, and just see if there's anything to be gleaned from that? While there's still an opportunity <laughs> to, to uh, not completely be eliminated from the playoffs, we might as well explore it because that opportunity may rapidly dissipate. So anyways, thanks again for everybody that called in. Thanks to our new caller, uh, Mr. New Berlin. What are we calling you? New Berlin guy. I actually spent a couple years in elementary school in New Berlin. Maybe you were in my class, dude. How old are you? What school did you go to? Who are you? I'll stop talking now. Have a good night. Bye-bye.